Welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and this is your oasis for strengthening your mental and emotional fitness, no matter what life tosses your way. I am so excited you're here. Just like you, I wear many hats. I'm a former dentist turned author and serial entrepreneur, currently a mom of two, and a recovering perfectionist. Every week, we'll navigate brave conversations to support your evolution at every season and stage of your life. Raw and unfiltered, we'll explore all the feels as we unpack life's unpredictable moments, from the playful to the painful, the magical and the messy, and everything in between this epic human experience. You ready? Let's dive in. So what has your relationship been with confidence or maybe even the word charisma? Now, if you're the type that thinks that some people just seem to have born with confidence and are yearning to add a little bit more confidence or a little flair of charisma to your life, well, this is the episode for you. Welcome to The Brave Table. If you're new, I'm your host, Dr. Neetha, and we are diving into all things confidence, charisma, through the seasons of pivots, reinventing yourself, and transitions. Now, I've got some good news for you. Confidence can be learned. Confidence is a science, and with the right tools and practices, it's available to just about anyone. Now, my guest today is the queen of confidence and charisma, and she is none other than Vanessa Van Edwards, who was formerly, and she declares, as a recovering, quote, awkward person who teaches people now how to harness their own confidence and really own what makes them unique. So Vanessa is the best-selling author of Captivate the Science of Succeeding with People, which has been translated into 17 languages. In cues, master the secret language of charismatic communication. More than 50 million people watch her engaging YouTube tutorials and TEDx talks. She shares tangible skills to improve interpersonal communication and leadership, including her insights on how people work. And I, as you all know, am fascinated about human dynamics. And so she's developed a science-based framework for understanding different personalities to really improve our emotional intelligence and help us communicate better with colleagues, people we love, clients, and customers. Now, Vanessa's work has been featured on so many platforms. She currently works with entrepreneurs, growing businesses, and trillion-dollar companies. She's been featured on CNN, BBC, CBS Mornings, Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur, USA Today, The Today Show, and so much more. And today we dive into an exercise on how to map your life out and find your own tipping point, how to actually overcome awkwardness and awkward situations, especially if you're heading into the holiday season and wanting to get out of your shell in social formats and how to actually build confidence and charisma, how to understand nonverbal cues, what the difference is between introverts, extroverts, and ambiverts, and how a lot of us actually can switch into both, and where do you actually get your energy from, and how to embrace and discover your definition of what success looks like to you. 
And there's so much more goodness. I think you are going to fall in love with Vanessa if you haven't heard from her before. She is fascinating. And like her book says, she is absolutely captivating. And we had so much fun as we dove in to this episode. So let's welcome this week, Vanessa Van Edwards to The Brave Table. Just wanted to pop in here for a quick message before we start. So as you know, my new book, That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy and Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess is finally launching in early 2023, but we are getting the party started now. And I have some free juicy bonuses that I'm so thrilled to share with you when you pre-order your copies of thatsucknowwhat.com at thatsucknowwhat.com. And so we have my... 12 month self care calendar because let's face it, I know you're busy and I know self care is sometimes the bottom of our list. And I want to make it so easy to make self nourishment happen for you on a weekly and monthly basis so you don't end up burnt out or ragged. So I put together the most incredible, juicy collection of my tried and true practices, rituals, and even, you know, I love any chais. So I've gathered the most incredible chais from around the world, from rose hip chai to saffron chai to nourish, rejuvenate, and prioritize your well-being on a monthly basis and create daily and weekly self-care routines that are just focused on you, all conveniently laid out in a beautiful designed calendar. Then there's my five-day practice, my healing practice to help you fly forward in every area of your life. Now this is jam-packed with jump-starting your healing with meditation, and visualization exercises for five days that will completely transform your life, heal and strengthen your closest relationships, your love, and manifest your abundance, amplify your courage, and help you expand out of your comfort zone so that you can thrive and fly forward. And I can't forget to mention the digital workbook. That's right, the That Suck Now What digital workbook, all stunning and beautifully designed 40-page workbook to help you go deeper along with questions, prompts, and exercises to help you unleash your most resilient self. So get these, and these are just three of the five total bonuses that you will receive when you order a copy of this book for your for your friend and for your loved one. I mean, get it for your two besties. And I have to tell you that these bonuses will be gone when the book comes out. So you can only get these freebies when you order your copies now at thatsuckednowwhat.com. And remember the holidays are coming up. So don't forget to grab a copy, not for yourself, but for those special ones in your life. When you buy three, you get all five of these bonuses. Now back to the show. Vanessa, welcome to the Brave Table of. I'm so excited that we get to dive in today. Wow. I can't wait. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, we're here, we're in Austin, and I mean, we're we're doing it. We're doing it. I can't wait. Let's talk about all the good things. Oh my gosh. Well, first and foremost, I just want to say congratulations on your newest book. Thank you. Oh my goodness. That was labor of love. You know, the first time it went well, and I was like, that was a fluke. My imposter syndrome was like, total fluke, just lucky. That's all that was. <laughs> did, then, did the imposter syndrome come back again for the yeah. second one? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I said no to the second one. So my publisher was like, we're ready for the next one. I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, yeah, like the next, next book. And I was like, I don't have anything else to say. She's like, Vanessa, 
Yes, you do. You have more to say. And so it took me five years to get up the courage to try again. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like that scared because I, I really did think it was a fluke, the first one. Because the first one, I didn't expect to go well. I thought maybe a couple people would read it. You know, I hoped like, you know, maybe we'd be in like a bookstore here or there. And so when it hit, I was really surprised and delighted. And I sort of was like, oh, that was lucky. So second time around, I thought this is the real test. You know, mm. this, what if I can't do it? What if it really was a fluke? And so in a weird way, I had a lot more pressure writing the second one. And thank goodness, by the end of the writing process, I had horrible writer's block. The first one, no. The first one like flowed. Right. The second one, I had a horrible writer's block, purely a, a confidence issue. Mm. And my editor said, you know who your reader is. It's smart, awkward people. That's who they are. <laughs> Just write them an email. <laughs> write them a really long email. It's a great that- advice. Yeah. And that unlocked it. And so every chapter is like, what would I write my really smart, amazing, kind, beautiful, awkward people? (laughs) And that unlocked it. And then it hit. I couldn't believe it. The second book it hit. And my husband was like, see, you're a real writer. I did not feel safe calling myself a writer until the second book hit. Mm, I know. It's crazy. My next book is coming out in January. And I'm like... Yeah, it's a labor of love. And I know you're expecting your second. And I was expecting my daughter when I was writing my book as well. And it's just, did you feel a sense of more creativity with your second or, or even with your first? You know, so to get like very personal, I had a decent time getting pregnant with my first four years ago. She's four and a half now. And that happened right after Captivate, my first book. Uh, And so it actually felt like a finishing. Like I finished this big professional goal that had been hanging over me. And so I remember I was in the airport, in SeaTac Airport, Seattle Airport. Oh my gosh. And we hit the Wall Street Journal list. And I went, I'm ready to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's done. Yes. Done. And let's move on. (laughs) I mean, it was literally like that. It was that chapter change. I mean, it was like literally turning a page chapter. So that happened. And then this next book, we had been trying and trying. I had a miscarriage, so many fertility issues, and I could not get pregnant. And my doctor said, your cortisol levels are off the charts. Mm. Your cortisol levels are too high. And what's crazy is she asked me like, are you very stressed? And I was like, isn't that just functioning? Like I, she, she like maybe kept coming in for these cortisol tests, and she asked me, you know, what was that day like? Was it really stressful? And I was like, that was a normal day. I don't know what do you. T-? She's like, I, and then she said to me very kindly, she's like, I think your high functioning is extremely stressed. Oh wow! See it that way. Yeah. So, uh, oddly enough, this book hit. March 1st, we found out on March 12th that it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and I got pregnant two weeks later. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, because all of the stress had subsided. Same, same for both. I mean, it's it's insane. Well, can we, let's just dive into that a little bit because, you know, during that time, whenever she was asking those questions, because I know for a lot of our readers and our listeners as well, they're type A, they're go-getting, and they're kind of thinking of this stage of motherhood. And some are often afraid that what's that going to do for their contribution and their identity. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that I was really afraid and a lot of my fellow A-type, we have big dreams. Like we have really big goals, um, personalities. We're afraid that somehow motherhood will take away from our ambition because ambition is a part of our personality. We don't want to lose that part of our identity. At least that's how I felt. And so at least with my first one, you know, we'll see what happens with my second. I didn't lose my ambition. It just changed. Like 
before I think I was ambitious for things that didn't matter. Like to be totally frank, I think I was ambitious for vanity numbers. I was ambitious for bestseller lists that don't matter. They really don't matter. No one cares. Not really. <laughs> like I was ambitious for all these things that I thought mattered. Mm. And then I had my daughter and I had a lot of ambition still, but it was for totally different things. Time freedom, yeah, financial freedom. I was mm. like, I don't care how many people are following me on YouTube if I helped 20 and that mm. paid my bills. And so the ambition was there, it just changed. And so I think if you're thinking about any kind of transition, whether that's motherhood or a new career or a a pivot to a passion or a side hustle, your ambition could change as long as you're open to it, right? Like I had to let go of, oddly enough, of course, of course, I was like, I don't care if this book hits a list because I didn't care. I was like, I just want it to get into people's hands. And then of course it did, right? Yes, but then you let it go. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you I let think, it go and then that's what it was. Yeah. So t- I think I think ambition can change. Like there's more than one definition of ambition. Mm, and I love that we're, you know, talking about this because a lot of times people think that, well, what happened 20 years ago or 15 years ago, now it's like you have to I have a few friends who've like planned to close up their businesses in order to prepare and make space for motherhood, which, hey, that's that's great. And that's amazing for them. And I feel like, and especially for me having had Isla around the time when I actually sold my next book to a publisher, literally oh. we had just come out of the oh. hospital oh. and they're like, can you take this call? And I'm like, oh my gosh, are we going to do this? I just, just, you know, my husband's just like, just, just do it. It's so important to you, love. And literally we sold the book. But I think that for folks listening, you know, there's not just one particular pathway, you know? And I think that at least for me, my experience, it gave me a little bit more fervor and passion to, especially for having a young girl, like I want her to look up to me and say, you know what, actually, yeah, we're going to do this. And I want her to be able to see that as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking about like paths, right? So an exercise that listeners can do if you're willing to be a little brave, right? We're talking about being brave, right? This is one of my favorite exercises. I do it maybe once every two years or so. And I love doing it with people I'm close with. So what you do for this exercise is you get out a pen and paper and I want you to draw your lifeline. So what this means is like, I want you to start, you know, on the left-hand side, zero, all the way up to your age on the very bottom. And then I want you to plot your life of highs and lows. So like, in your childhood, was that a low time or a high time? And that's however you define high and low, right? That could be happiness. It could be stability. It could be being challenged, whatever. Like that was a fulfilling, good time for me versus that was a hard, challenging time. So the left axis is going to be like the low versus high and the bottom axis is your time. And so start with childhood and then go to go through teenage years. And what's really important is like, I want you to pick some life moments. Like for example, a life moment for me is when my parents got divorced. That was like a pivotal changing moment. So I had that plotted. Did that make your lifeline go up or down? (laughs) Like, What was a life moment? So start to plot out your life moments. And it can be sometimes small. Like, yes, of course, obviously a graduation is a big obvious moment. There's also like non-obvious moments. Like maybe the first time you discovered confidence for the first time or the first time you... Like when I read Harry Potter in November of 2002, that was a huge moment for me because it was like reignited my love of reading. (laughs) Sounds silly, but like for me, that was like a big life moment. So like there could be like very weird moments for you. So plot that out. And I want you to think about like, what were your tipping points? Mm. What were tipping points in decisions? What were tipping points in success? What were tipping points in your growth? 
that's a little different than milestones, right? Like what were mental tipping points? Like the biggest tipping points in my business, the points where my business was like chugging along, slow growth. And then I had a huge tipping point where like something massive happened. They're not the big things. It's not always like the bestseller list or whatever, hitting a million users. It's not, it's not those. It was like oftentimes partnerships are the biggest tipping points in my business or like quitting things have been tipping points in my business. And so I found that really helpful because it made me look back and be like, wow, the stuff that I thought was going to change my ups and downs did not. Mm. Not as much as I would think. Wow. I love this exercise so much. I think that'll be amazing as we near the end of the year and kind of see what we're actually calling in for the new year. And what you say about some of the smallest things were so monumental because a lot of times it is just the two to three degrees of a shift that could really Mm -hmm. change your entire trajectory. And I kind of want to dive into a little bit about, because when I was doing some amazing research on you, I keep hearing the word awkward. So let's start (laughs) and tell us, how did the queen of charisma and confidence start with with, with an awkward stage? Because I can't really see that. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, it's a compliment to hear that queen of confidence and charisma. I never would have guessed. I'm a recovering awkward person. So what this means is for me, I'm a social overthinker. So I'm one of those people who replays every conversation I've had. I always seem to think that I've said the wrong thing. I also have a lot of very particular awkward symptoms. So like I tend to misinterpret neutral cues as negative. And this is actually what got me started on my research on cues is I, for many, many years, I would always think people were angry at me. (laughs) I would like leave a party, you know, and I'd turn to my husband and be like, man, she's so mad at me. He'd be like, what? What are you, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, did you see how she looked? I mean, she was mad. He's like, no, I like lovingly, like, I don't think that that's right. And I started to realize that I had this weird filter. And actually this is researched that Mm. people who are often high in neuroticism, so neuroticism is a facet of our personality that has to do with worry and external, like external stimulants. Mm -hmm. We tend to misinterpret neutral cues as negative. And that was an aha moment for me. That was a tipping point for me in my journey to realize, wait a minute. Okay. My brain is not working with me in this way. My brain has a negativity bias towards body language, facial expressions, and voice tone. Okay, if that's true, can I relearn the language of cues? Mm -hmm. So I started out making flashcards. No joke, flashcards. Oh my goodness. Yeah, for facial expressions. I literally looked up what is the universal anger microexpression? What is the universal contempt microexpression? What does the body do in pride? What does the body do in defeat? And there's so much amazing research. And I couldn't believe how there is really a language to nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. Just like I learned, you know, back in college, I learned Spanish. It was the same. Learning, you know, grammar and vocab words, it was the same as learning all these nonverbal cues. So I created this sort of set of flashcards and I started to share this information with my fellow awkward friends. And people were like, we need more. Can you create like a glossary, a a dictionary of of people and behavior? And that was sort of the seed of science of people over 12 years ago, slowly starting to write about the hidden forces that drive our behavior. If we want to be successful as humans and we have such good intent, right? I know everyone who's listening to this has amazing intent. We know our stuff. We want to do big things in the world. We want to take care of our families. We want to be amazing wives, mothers, husbands, partners, sisters, brothers, 
if we have good intent, how do we communicate that intent? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I have to do with my face and my voice and my gestures to make sure? And so my charisma, if you think I have it, is learned. It is not. <laughs> it is not so this, so this can be learned. And you've obviously written two books around this. Yes. Now, and, you know, I think for, you know, we can get into a little bit of tactics as well. Yeah. And I, I think that for a lot of folks who are kind of in this season of reinvention. Oh, I love it. And transition. But a lot of times in this reinvention stage, you tend to lose that confidence. And I remember, you know, just having Isla last year, I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I don't know what's foreshadowing what's to come for you, but Uh this is my experience, Uh but it's like from one to two, you're kind of like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh I thought, I I thought I could handle one. All right. And then coupled with all the other projects and then you're Uh kind of like, and then the sleepless nights and then the guilt because the other kid needs you as well. So it's just like, keep adding it on, keep adding it on. And then you're like, whoa, where's my self-care? Where's my time? And what does this even mean? And then it's all confusing and perplexed and it's all of the emotions at the same time. And how do you then sit with that reinvention and the confidence because your identity was attached to something you really were sure of and you had the certainty of and now it's shifted? Yes. Okay. So here's how I like to think about it is we often think we have this mistaken belief that there's one way to be successful that there's one way to be charismatic, that there's one way to be confident. And typically we think of that as the outgoing, bubbly, in control, got it all covered extrovert. That kind of personality of like, I got it. I have it handled. I got this. I'm social. I'm outgoing. I can smile. I can turn it on. That outgoing kind of, this is especially for women. This is a little different for men, but especially for women, I think we have this feeling that there's one way to be charismatic, to be confident in our lives. And that's a plague because if you are not a natural optimistic extrovert, it has to be both. If you're not a natural Mm. optimistic extrovert, then you are constantly not living up to that flavor. Mm. You are constantly missing the mark on, I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not optimistic enough. I'm not grateful enough, right? I don't have everything handled enough. I don't have enough energy, right? So what we have to allow ourselves to begin to think about, this is a complete redefinition. This is internal before external, Hmm. that there are multiple flavors of success. There are multiple flavors of charisma that you can absolutely be a successful mother, a successful business person, a successful friend as a quiet, powerful, contemplative introvert Hmm. or a compassionate, empathetic healer or a wise, knowledgeable Sage, like those are all acceptable ways to be confident. But you have to be okay not being whatever you think charisma or confident is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, the biggest part of it is because self care has a lot to do with how you give energy, right? So just the very first question is are you an introvert, an ambivert, or an extrovert? It's the very first thing. I just want you to think about that for a second for anyone who's listening. So extroverts get their energy from others. So if they're having a bad day, if you're having a bad day in your pivot or a bad day as a mother or a bad day as a boss, if you're an extrovert, you are wired to seek companionship. The thing that's going to help you with self-care and help you regulate is venting, verbalizing, having camaraderie, sitting next to someone on the couch and having them physically touch you. An introvert is the opposite. On their bad day, they are wired to get energy from being alone. The last thing they should be doing is forcing themselves to get companionship, 
forcing themselves to verbalize, forcing themselves to go out. For them, they have to have a lot of internal time, a lot of reflection time, a lot of private self-care time. And ambiverts flex in both. I think, well, I'm an ambivert. I think you are too, right? I can, I go both. I go both. But I mean, I'm definitely more on the extroverted side, but when I need my time, I need my time. Okay. And it's, it's changed now that I've got two kids. Yeah. Exactly. So ambiverts, we flex. That's both a strength and a weakness. It's a strength because I can get self-care and I can recharge off from a bad day with some good friends, you know, but I also can absolutely on a bad day recharge in the bathtub, right? Both. Yes. So that's good. That's really good. We can flex in different ways. We can charge our battery with different ports. That's kind of how I think of it. Oh, yeah. Ports. We have multiple ports. Mm -hmm. But because we are so flexible, we can be people pleasers. Mm -hmm. So what can happen to ambiverts is we think to ourselves, I'm burnt out. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I'm having a bad day. What should I do? And then someone outside says, why don't you or come to my party or mama play with me? And you're like, that could work. (laughs) You know, your brain's like, that could work. Maybe I can shove that plug into my port. You know, I have three of them. So like, maybe I can just shove it in there, you know? Yeah. And so we (laughs) tend to overcommit. We tend to say yes, you know, if we don't know it. And I don't know if you've ever had this where you open up your calendar and you're not sure if you're excited for something. (laughs) You you like, you look at something in your calendar and you're like, you know, I said yes to that play date three weeks ago and it did sound good in the moment. But now I'm looking at that play date and it sort of sounds like the worst idea ever. <laughs> You're kind of like, oh, do I have to go? I don't yeah. know. And that's yeah. a symptom of being an ambivert and that's okay. Like, mm. don't get on yourself for that. That's all right. That means that you actually just have this flexible superpower that just, you have a little bit more, it's like hyperflexibility, right? You can get into the splits, but you also might pull more muscles. Same kind of thing. Yeah. And when you said that about people pleasers, I feel like I'm a recovering people pleaser, but I feel like sometimes it's kind of, it's triggered and like you we're in recovery. Exactly. Exactly. It's true. It'll come up at at different points. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And what I love about, you know, coming across your work, obviously you have so many different ways people can get access to really building their skills of confidence, charisma. You have a whole list. I even saw a lie detector program. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, and I see that you're constantly on the road speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, what in this stage is really lighting you up? Mm. It's funny that you put it that way because it's true. I think my goal is to help people achieve their goals with confidence. Okay. But confidence comes different ways, right? Like, so for some people, it's managing nonverbal cues. For some people, it's learning lie detection because they've been lied to before. So their confidence comes from inoculating themselves against lies. That's a very certain type of confidence, oddly. You know, for some people, it's uh, introverts who need to be more assertive at work. So I loved all those aspects. I think right now, I really, really like a holistic approach, right? Mm -hmm. I've focused a lot on like niche topics, conversation, lie detection, body language. But now at this point in my life, I want to give people like a very holistic set of tools. Um, And so that's really what gets me excited. So we have our master program. It's called People School. And it's been around for about five years. We've had thousands of students go through it. And what's been really fun is this year, I actually looked at the program holistically. It's a, it has all aspects of people school. And we decided to dial in on one achievable goal. So getting every student who enrolls to say, what is your goal? I want to get a raise. I want to raise my rates. We have 
pivoters, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the program. Ooh. And then having them tackle a very specific goal with that holistic approach, whether that's raising rates, getting a bonus, meeting my soulmate, whatever that is for them, the people arena. It's like, okay, we can hit that goal if we just holistically get your interpersonal intelligence to be expert level. So mm-hmm. that's a really cool initiative for me because also I get to see as a teacher, we check in with people after they start school. Every two weeks we check in, did you get your goal yet? Did you hit your goal yet? Can oh, we help that. you with your goal? And the emails when I get back, I hit it. Oh, the best. It's the, the best. best. It's the best. And I see that you have this huge global community. Yes. And have you noticed the difference between how people view confidence and charisma in North America versus Europe versus Asia. What have you noticed as the difference culturally in those nuances? Yes. This is, I'm going to actually speak to the research on this because this changed my mind about the answer to this question. So research from Dr. Susan Fisk. Dr. Susan Fisk is a Princeton University researcher. And in 2002, she embarked on this massive groundbreaking research. And it's been replicated since. So it's a very prominent in the research community, looking at highly charismatic people people who are successful and confident and were drawn to them, highly memorable, highly captivating. And what she found was, is that highly charismatic people, what makes them charismatic is they rank high in two traits, specifically warmth and competence. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with their intelligence. It has nothing to do with their extroversion or introversion. It has nothing to do with their attractiveness or athleticism. Literally charismatic people just rank high in those two traits because they are going out into the world or in their email or on video and they're signaling high trust. You can trust Mm me. I'm likable. Um, We can bond and I'm competent. You can rely on me. What I'm saying is real. That's what they're doing is they have a balance of those two traits. And interestingly, she has an aspect of her research that looked at this across cultures. Oh, yes. (laughs) She wanted to know, okay, is this just an American thing? Right? Like, do just Americans love to trust and rely? You know, would it be different in Asian countries or Latin American countries? And she found that this is exactly the same across cultures. In fact, 82% of our judgments of people as humans are warm and competent. However, our stereotypes are different. Mm. In other words, whether you're in Japan or Mexico or the US or Germany, you want someone who is likable and reliable, warm and competent. But your perception of how warm and competent a German is, is different than how warm and competent a Japanese person is. It's different than how warm and competent an American is. So for example, typically Germans are seen as higher in competence. Mm-hmm. That's a stereotype about that culture. Right. So, and not as warm. And not as warm. Exactly. <laughs> Italians are seen as higher in warmth right. because they are very friendly and likable, but not as high in competence. And so she actually breaks us down by culture, which is so interesting. So we have the same wiring, but different perceptions of that based on our culture. Oh, I love Even, that. By the way, this is like lots of research. She's done this, these repeated this in many studies. Not only did she figure it out culturally, she even figured out that even the, the names of your name of your profession. So she mm-hmm. found if you call yourself a teacher, you're seen as high in warmth and competence, but a little higher in warmth. If you call yourself a professor, you're seen as a little higher in competence, a little bit lower in warmth, high in both, but a little bit different. So even the way that you title yourself has different stereotypes and perceptions. Wow. I think that's so fascinating because I think that contextually, it can give us a little bit more understanding and just a little bit more compassion for how we relate to other people. 
And like, there's a flexibility there, right? So if you want to be seen as memorable, and this is what my second book is about, if you want to be seen as memorable in an authentic way, there are multiple flavors of this, right? This is a recipe that you can make a recipe of how you want to show up. You can make a recipe of your presence. So that might be a little bit of warmth and a little bit of competence. But maybe for you, because you view yourself as a German professor, you're going to add a little more competence, right? You know, like you can mix the recipe that works for you. Otherwise, everyone would be robotically the same. Right. And that's why there's no one definition of charisma in that way. Mm, and then that's where we add our own little flavor. And it's almost like, you know, celebrating the uniqueness. Yeah. And I love that at the Science of People, which is your organization, you also have these bite-sized newsletter articles. And I got so much inspiration from it, you know, just preparing for this interview, just because it's like, you know, you've got two minutes and you're kind of like, all right, the five things that you need to know, and Mm -hmm. here's what to do. Here's what not to do. There is one article about, you know, how to give the best speeches, you know, when you're going to a presentation or a wedding or something like that, but it's so personalized. So listeners do yourself a favor and visit the science of people because I think it's just done so well. Because of course, everyone would love to increase their confidence and their charisma, which I mean, is what you do so well. And I'm geeking out a little bit. Oh my goodness. It's like the interdynamics and the fascination of like people is what, you know, kind of like I grew up with just from my backstory, but for you to actually devote all of this research, I think it's just, it's amazing. I also just want to thank you. That's the best comment you can give me is that it's really practical and quick. I write for really smart, busy people. Right. Like I know that you don't have 10 minutes to give to my newsletter. And so if you're going to read it, I want to give you something that is helpful right away. And this is also the plague of smart people is really, really smart people, really ambitious people. We have beefed up on our technical smarts, on our degrees, on our certifications, and we feel like that's enough. And the problem is the research proves this high competence without warmth leaves people feeling suspicious. And so a lot of the times, smart people, they hit people with their competence and they have to learn some of the odder aspects or the more behavioral aspects of warmth. And those are actually very learnable. They're, they're so tactical into like, I call them magic phrases. And I, I use these all the time in my newsletter. For example, you can prepare for an interview or a negotiation or a pitch or a presentation. You have the best data, the prettiest slides, such a good argument. But if you don't have a little bit of rapport at the beginning, it's chemically harder for someone to connect with you. So like, here's like a magic phrase that immediately adds warmth. Mm. So whenever you're with someone and they make you laugh, say, oh, you always make me laugh. You're always so funny. If someone says something interesting, oh, you're always such a pleasure to talk to. You always mention the most interesting things. If someone says something really smart, oh, you always are so clever. You always make me think. Those opportunities are so quick and you've just given a gift to someone because they're like, really? I am the magic nugget. Little, uh, little. Doesn't even just much. hearing that from your voice, I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so I think it doesn't take a lot is what I'm saying. I know that everyone listening to this is very smart. I know that. And so it doesn't take much to make people love your smarts. It doesn't take much to make sure that no one underestimates you. It doesn't take much to make sure that your ideas are not dismissed or doubted. It takes a couple of very small cues And it's like lubricant for your ideas. Mm. Oh, I love that metaphor. Well, and I know that we don't have much time. So as we segue into our final lightning round, 
what does it mean to be brave in this Mm. stage and season of life? I think brave is not being fearless. I think brave is knowing what you're bad at and trying to work through it, not hiding it, not trying to close your eyes to it. For many years, I was awkward and I didn't want to see it. And when I was finally like, I'm awkward, I'm really awkward. And I think everyone's angry at me all the time. I finally discovered something. Beautiful. And one word that describes the season for you. This season? <laughs> Growth. I am physically growing. I am seven months. Oh my gosh, look at that bump. The bump is growing. The business is growing. Ever since Q's came out, the business is growing. So growth, physically, financially, emotionally, let's be real. All of the things. Yeah. Vanessa, I mean, such a pleasure to sit with you and having you sit at the Brave table. I'm so excited. And we'll definitely link your books as well as The Science of People. And where can everybody connect with you on the social things? Yes, I'm uh, Vanessa Van Edwards on all the socials, Science of People on YouTube. Actually, YouTube is where we have most of our like free content and videos. And of course, sciencepeople.com is where People School is and all of our uh, fun mini courses. And I just want to say you have the best energy. I love this interview. And yeah, thank you for just being a champion. Like that's it was so kind of you to say all those nice things. And as an awkward person, it's like a balm to my soul. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. We'll have to do this again, love. After child number two. I got you. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) All right. Until next time on The Brave Table. All right, friends. Wow. If you've loved this episode, for more on Vanessa, you can definitely connect with her at V Van Edwards. That's on IG. And you can check out all of her incredible trainings, sign up for her newsletter, get all of the things at scienceofpeople.com. That's scienceofpeople.com. And she has her own school. She is so fascinating and you can totally get her books on her website as well. And don't forget to subscribe to her YouTube. That's where she has all of these micro mini quest courses. That's literally for free. And if you are curious to know more about deepening your own confidence, episode 82 and shifting identities, discovering your brand and balancing motherhood with being a boss with Jen Kem. Episode 55, how to be more bold and colorful in all areas of your life with Paola Mate. And episode 48, Shifting Your Career, The Power of U-Turns, Transitions, and Finding Your Superpower with Ashley Stahl. Now, loves, if this episode resonated with you, go ahead and share it with a friend, share it with a colleague, share it with a partner that you want to be more captivating, be more charismatic, more confident. I'm so excited that we get to embrace and embody these skill sets that we think is so far-fetched, but in actuality, we can just build them by listening to a lot of what Vanessa was saying. And don't forget, when you now order three copies of my upcoming book, and that's only when you pre-order That Suck Now What from thatsucknowwhat.com, you will get my free how-to guide on how to create deeper and meaningful friendships to lead your own soul support posse. So you can talk about how to be confident together, plus so many more juicy bonuses. Grab your copies and your juicy bonuses at thatsuckednowwhat.com. I will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. It means so much to me of your support, your reviews, and 
you just being a little bit more brave. I'll see you next time.